Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello, and once again, welcome back to The Forge. We are continuing on through the book of Genesis. And this time we're going to read all of Genesis chapter 15 and chapter 16. So open your Bible to Genesis 15, beginning with verse 1. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Hear now the words of the living, true, and faithful God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, You have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for 
righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward, shall, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamnites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. 
Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er Lehei Roi. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And as I always pray, may the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Beginning at the first verse of this section of our study, we have a phrase here, the word of the Lord. And this is the first use of the word, word, in the Bible. And this comes from a Hebrew word, devar, which is a singular noun. And in this context here, it implies a communication from Yahweh to Abram. And most often when this communication happens, when this word is used, it is done through spoken word. But here... At the very first mention in all of Scripture, the message comes to Abram from God in the form of a vision. A vision. Now that said, I do want to take a moment and talk about communication among humans. Man is unique among God's creation in that he can create from his imagination. So as human beings, we have an imagination. And from thought, we have decided what sound means. We agree on what sounds are and what they mean, and we call it language. So, for example, if you're listening to this now and you understand the words that I am saying, it is because you and I have an agreement on what these sounds mean. However, if someone hears this and they do not understand English or the agreement, if you will, this sounds to them like gibberish. It sounds like I'm babbling. Interestingly, the place where God confused the language is called Babel. 
And what do we say when someone's talking too much or we don't understand them? We say they are babbling. The word barbarian has its root in the idea that the uncivilized tribes outside of the Roman Empire spoke this barbar type of language, you know, barbar, barbar. They were babbling. And that's where we get the word barbarian. My point here is that thought is from where we generate both written and spoken words. And there is no other creature that can do this. This is something that is uniquely human. And I want to take you to three other places in the scripture where the word word is used. And these are three New Testament references. And the first one comes from John chapter one, and it states, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The second reference comes from first John chapter one and here the Bible states that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now here in the new Testament, the word translated from Greek as word in English is logos. And the idea here is conveyed to us by John that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. He's conveying that Jesus is what the Greeks would recognize as that great eternal source of all things ever created. The idea is that Christ is light and life and that we who have seen the light have received life in Christ, and we enjoy a fellowship with God. John is saying here that Christ is the living word, and he is God in the flesh. The third reference I want to share with you comes from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first four verses, and it states there, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels 
as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I want you to notice that even though this is a New Testament book and it comes to us in the form of Greek, it is a letter addressed to the Hebrew people. And notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says that God spoke in times past to the fathers. Now, this would be the previous generations of Jews in the nation of Israel. And how did God speak to them? Through prophets. But now, in these last days, God has spoken to us through a person, his own son. And he goes on to explain that Jesus Christ is God, for it is Christ who is upholding all things according to the word of his power. So it might seem like I'm making a big deal out of just one single word, the word, word. (laughs) But if you'll stay with me here, I'm going to wrap all of this together. You see, God's thoughts are expressed to us in his word, the Bible. Before the Bible, God spoke to his servants, men like Abram, See, Abram didn't have 66 books collected together like you and I have today called the Bible. God has communicated with his people so that they would know his thoughts. That's where I'm going with this. In Christ, the living word, we have the ultimate communication with God. Jesus taught us and lived the very thoughts of God out in his life here on earth, in the flesh, God in the flesh. And today we as Christians, we make a big deal. We make much out of daily Bible reading and study. Why? Because the God of the universe has come down to our level to communicate with us. He has spoken to us. And man can now respond back to God in word and the words that we say and the thoughts that we have. And see, God did this not because he needed to, not because he saw something in us that was worthy of his great gifts and one of those gifts being language. No, he did this because he is a God of mercy. He is a God of love and grace. He came down to our level to communicate his thoughts to us through his written word because he has chosen to glorify himself in this way. He has shown his people the way of salvation and he did all of this through communication. See, when you and I read the Bible, it is a privilege because we are actually thinking God's thoughts after him. What great favor he has shown to us. And this is what we see here with Abram. God has told Abram exactly what God is going to do. And yet we have here yet another uh, theophany in Genesis. Remember, Jesus told the Jews, Abraham rejoiced to see my day 
and he saw it and was glad. And I'm getting that from John chapter eight. If you go to John chapter eight, read verses 56 through 58, you'll see that the Jews uh, are having an exchange with Jesus and they question Jesus and they say, how is it possible that you've seen Abraham when you're not even 50 years old yet? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Who else said, I am? Who is the great I am? Who is, as the Greeks would say, the logos? Who is that? Well, it's God. That's who it is. And Jesus is saying here, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. And in truth, Abraham had seen him. And I believe in it's this account that we read about here in Genesis that Jesus is actually referring back to. The account that we read in John chapter 8 is referring back here to Genesis chapter 15. So there's a bit of compare and contrast that I'd like to offer here as we continue moving through Genesis. We see that God is making a covenant with Abraham, which will be different than what we saw with Adam. First, because of sin, when the word uh, came to Adam in Genesis 3.10, you see that Adam has a fear because Adam had sinned. However, when the word comes to Abram in Genesis 15, Abram is told, fear not. Second, we see that Adam is the father of all humanity. Abram becomes the father of all them that believe, according to Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And the third comparison and contrast I want to do here between Adam and Abram is Adam had a fig leaf and a curse. See, Adam tries to cover his sin, cover his nakedness with a fig leaf, and he's cursed by God. But Abram has a shield, and Abram has a reward. You see, for the Christian, Jesus is both protection and provision. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which is you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is the sword of the spirit? The word of God. Do you see that God provides us with a shield of faith and the whole armor of God? so that we can be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Did you notice that the sword is the word of God? And so while it may seem that I've really gone out of my way to elaborate on the word, 
and it's specifically the word of God coming to Abram, I hope that what you see, what I am attempting to communicate here, is that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the eternal self-existent one, he came down to our level. In some circles they would say he condescended to our level. And if you can contemplate that, if you think about that, if you meditate upon that, it is mind-blowing that God would call and that he would communicate and that he would talk to his creation. So also notice here that Abram believed God. And you'll notice that it says that God counted it to Abram for righteousness. And how are we found righteous today? It's through our belief, our belief in who? Jesus. And here is some more compare and contrast for us to consider. Let's look at Noah. You see, Noah found grace before righteousness. Abram found faith before righteousness. What does the Bible tell us in Ephesians 2, chapter 8? I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is one of my favorite verses. It tells us that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. So even here in Genesis, we can see God working out this new covenant that is yet to come. And where do we find grace and faith? We find it in the very first book of our Bible. Noah had grace. Abram had faith in the eyes of God. And it was counted to them for righteousness. So God renews his promise to Abram here in this chapter. Abram has no son at this point. And Abram kind of asks God for an explanation. It's as if he's saying, okay, God, I believe you, Lord. I just don't know how you're going to do this. And this isn't done because Abram does not believe God or that he's being disrespectful. I believe this is coming from a, a genuine place of curiosity. It's as if, you know, God, how are you going to do this? And in God's grace, he decides to confirm the promise with a covenant ceremony. It's as if God is saying, you know, Abram, you don't need to worry about the how. You just need to know that I am God. And when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And so we see this covenant ceremony going on here. And the covenant ceremony was the splitting of animals. And I'm going to explain a little more about this. It was bloody. If you took an animal and you cut him in half, you're going to get blood all over the place. Do not forget, dear Christian, that ours is a bloody faith. It's a bloody religion, if you will. We have already seen the shedding of blood uh, from animals to cover man's sins. In fact, we see that in the very beginning at the garden when Adam and Eve are removed from the garden. And we know that Christ's death upon the cross was extremely bloody. 
So here's what would happen in a covenant. The two parties would walk hand in hand through the middle of a split. So they would split an animal and kind of make a pathway through the middle of this animal. And then they would uh, hold hands and walk through the middle of the animal. And the idea of splitting the animals and the idea of seeing the blood was, it was as if you were saying, may this happen to me if I break my word to you. So I've promised you that I'm going to do something, but this is more than a promise. If I fail what just happened to this animal, may that be what falls upon me. So God tells Abram to make preparations for the covenant between them. Interestingly, God uses the same animals here, which will later be used in the law, which hasn't been given yet for sacrifice. He uses a cow, a sheep, goat, pigeon, and a dove. Abram obeys and then he waits. He waits all day long. And this delay is, I believe, done on purpose. It could symbolize a long waiting time for Abram's first son. It could symbolize an even longer waiting period for the coming Savior. And Abram drives off the birds because vultures now begin to come in. There's dead carcasses laying on the ground. They come in and Abram drives them off. And this could even symbolize the attempts of the enemy to destroy God's covenant, to destroy God's plan. But now we reach a turning point in the account. And this is where Abram falls asleep. But it's not just any kind of a sleep. It's a deep sleep, and it says a horror of great darkness. And this could even symbolize death itself. It could even be a shadow of things to come, the death of Christ and the glory of his return. But then God shows up, and he walks through the middle of the animals. And this shows God's unconditional promise. Notice who's responsible for keeping the covenant. It's God who is responsible for the covenant. He's the one that will fulfill the covenant. So consider that. Think about that, dear friends. God is the one who upholds the covenant. So let's move on to chapter 16. And as we do, I have some more comparison and contrast for us to consider. Just as Abram had been willing to share his wife, Sarai, in Egypt in an effort to save his own life. Now we see Sarai is willing to share Abraham in an effort to help God out because God's made this promise. He's made this covenant. We don't have any children and how silly we are to think that God needs our help, especially when he's already promised to do something great. And he's made a covenant with us. And he's even said, I'm the one who's going to keep the covenant. Why do you think that God was waiting and allowing Abram and Sarai to just get older and older and older? And there's still no son of promise. Why? Because he was waiting so that there would be no doubt that Abram and Sarai were too old to have children. 
the birth of their son was going to be something truly miraculous. And here's some more comparison and contrast for you. Just as Adam listened to Eve, now we see Abram listening to Sarai. And it also turned out to be a big mistake for both men. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) We see that Sarai begins to disdain Hagar. Why? Well, Hagar was Sarai's property. She was a slave. And she'd probably been picked up in Egypt when Sarai and Abram had left Egypt. She was Sarai's personal slave, and any children that Hagar would have had under the customs and laws of that time period, they would have also become property of Sarai. Now, I understand this is a sensitive issue for those of us in a modern age, especially here in the West. I'm not condoning this. I'm not saying this was correct. I'm saying this was the law and the customs of the period. It's real easy for us to sit here in 2021, uh, the 21st century in the West in our primarily sheltered culture and judge others, especially from the past. They're working within their time period, within their laws, and it would be extremely difficult for them to change things just like it is extremely difficult for you or I to change things in our culture today. So the point is, Hagar was property. Any children that she uh, would have had would have also been Sarai's property. You see, the reason I'm making a big deal about that is because Sarai was the greater one. She is the mistress. She is the wife of the master, which would have been Abram in this case. Sarai is the greater, and she is also the first wife. But now the second wife is perceived as better because she's the one who's going to give Abram a child. And I would just point out here that there's not a single case anywhere in the Bible of a man having more than one wife where things work out well. (laughs) Not a single case. There's not a single case where we see polygamy in the Bible and it turns out to be happy for all those concerned. Why? Because it was never God's plan for it to be that way. It was one man, one woman for life. So you might ask, why would God use somebody like Abram, who basically has relations with another woman, goes into this polygamous marriage thing, and I just admitted that that's not God's original plan, and yet God's made a covenant with Abram, and he's going to make a great nation out of him. My answer is really simple, and that is none of us are perfect. Now, that's not an excuse. That is a fact. (laughs) And the fact is that these imperfections are included in the biblical account of God's chosen men uh, to actually show us encouragement. You see, if God 
can use a man like this, then God can use someone like you. He can use someone like me because we're fallen. And what better way to bring himself glory than to take fallen man or fallen woman and use them to turn a situation around and glorify himself. See, if it was nothing but perfection in the Bible, then I would read the account and I would go, well, no wonder. See, I'm not like Abram. I'm a mess. But no, I can look at this and I can go, you know what? Abram was a mess too. And God forgives and God used him and God kept his promises. And so I'm encouraged by this. So we read in the account, Hagar um, is not treated fairly by Sarai and God meets Hagar in the wilderness. And he commands her to return to Sarai and he gives the name of the child. Now, how do I know that this particular angel of the Lord is God? Because it says angel of the Lord. Well, again, we have here what is called a theophany, which is a physical appearance of God in the Old Testament before Christ is born in the New Testament. And once again, I'm going to call your attention to what some editors have done. And it depends on which Bible that you're using. Um, But you will again notice the word angel is capitalized. And you may also notice that the word Lord is in all caps as well. Now, I don't believe that this angel is God because the editors decided to capitalize some letters. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they capitalized it because of something that we get directly out of the context of Scripture. See, the angel of the Lord in this case does some things that only God can do. He states, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. This sounds similar to something God told Abram, does it not? And this angel of the Lord states that he will be the one to multiply Hagar's descendants. And this uh, does occur through her son Ishmael. So the angel of the Lord also goes on to prophesy concerning Hagar's son. He says, Ishmael will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand will be against him. And he yet he will dwell in the presence of his brethren. So who are the descendants of Ishmael? Where do they live today? How do they behave in terms of their international involvement and warfare? See, it appears that all these prophecies have come true. Only God can predict the future. And only God can cause someone's descendants to multiply. So while an angel can bring the message, angels do not have the power themselves to cause someone's descendants to multiply. So God names Hagar's son Ishmael. Notice God's hand of mercy and grace toward an Egyptian slave girl. She's a Gentile. She is not part of the chosen line, but God still physically saves her. No doubt, 
from the rest of the account that we read here, Hagar returns to Sarai and shares her wilderness experience. And though it is not recorded in Scripture, it is a James opinion that they all repented of their sin and they agreed to live together as best they could under the circumstances. But here's what you need to understand about this. This is what I want you to really concentrate on. God is not waiting for you to do your part. God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant. And he has promised eternal life, forgiveness of sins, freedom for the slave and the captive. And he has paid for the covenant in his own blood. The work has been completed. He does not need your help. You cannot work for your salvation. Indeed, that is truly no salvation at all. And if you're praying that God will be merciful to a friend or to a loved one who is not living for Christ, they have rejected the truth of the gospel, they are living in darkness, remember that God does things on his timeline, not your timeline. Just as God was not waiting on Sarai and Abram to help him out when Sarai came up with this great idea to have Abram have relations with Hagar. God wasn't waiting on that, and God's not waiting on you to help him out. He already has things well in hand and under control. And I'm not saying here that we should not witness, that we should not plead with our neighbors to hear the gospel, to repent and believe. But I am saying that we don't need to be manipulative when we're doing it. It's a privilege to share the good news with the lost. And God has allowed us to be the instruments that he uses to preach. But it's still the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart that opens the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So getting back to Abram and his now two wives, though they all have decided to make the best of it, that's what it looks like anyway, they still had to deal with the consequences of their actions. You will always deal with the consequences of your sin. And this does not mean that you're not forgiven, but problems will arise even in a Christian's life because of poor decisions that they made, because of sin. And notice how much time passes and still there's no son from Sarai. Thirteen years are going to pass. Life seems pretty good. Abram pro uh, continues to prosper. There's no war. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but kind of looks like that apparently maybe Abram's given up on God's promise. But you're going to have to wait until the next episode to see what happens next, or you can read ahead, read chapter 17. You know, read the whole book of Genesis. It wouldn't take you that long, and especially since we're in chapter 17, there's only 50 chapters, 
And look at that. You're almost, you know, 17, you round up. That's almost 20. You're almost there. (laughs) I'm told that I round up. So point is, if you want to know what happens, you're going to have to wait till the next episode or go ahead and read your Bible on your own. But as we bring this episode to a close, I want you to have this as a takeaway. God keeps his promises. He is a God of covenants and he always keeps his covenants. And we don't need to help God along with any of our own ideas on how we think that God should be doing things. God is faithful and he will do what he said he will do. Just as Abram believed back in chapter 15 and God counted it to him for righteousness. So it is with you and with me. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are saved by his grace. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. Amen. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. Encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.